At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. A warmer, friendly low. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas. For Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops, and now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast and... Ladies and gentlemen, it is Kansas who is our national champion in the first segment. We're going to be talking about that. Really couldn't do much of an interview tonight. Game winds up wrapping up at 9 p.m. Pacific time. Most of our usual guests are out there in New Orleans. So in the second segment, I'm just going to give you guys just some takeaways from the year in general. Things that I learned just handicapping this season. What has really changed in college basketball over the last 12 months, over the last few years in general. What we've been noticing with regards to some of these champions. So just some general takeaways from the season. Going to be coming up in the second segment. Then in the final segment... We turn off season mode as I take a look at everything that we wound up getting with regards to the transfer portal, guys declaring for the NBA draft, coaching moves, so much more in that final segment because now it is that time to start taking a look to the 2022-23 season. It never ends when you've got 358 D1 teams and we've got a couple teams coming up from the D2 level that are going to be up as well. So it's going to be more than 358 D1 teams before you know it. So we're getting set for the next season here on the podcast from here on out. And first things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. You do have one or two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Most of you guys were enveloped in the game that we wound up seeing on Monday, so really didn't get a lot of questions. So let's take a look back at how Kansas was able to get it done. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. One of the better comebacks that you're going to see in NCAA championship history, ladies and gentlemen. Kansas down 15 points at the half. They are able to get it done. For those of you guys that listen to the podcast, I gave out Kansas minus four. That did not wind up getting there. The under, that did wind up getting there. And if you listen to the Bracket Breakdown podcast I wanted to do in a few weeks ago, our national champion was Kansas. So, you know what? Two and one, I will gladly take that as Kansas gets it done 72 to 69. And if you don't wind up having that janky inbounds pass, who knows what winds up happening at the free throw line. But with that said... Absolutely insane what we wind up seeing from Kansas in this one. They wind up starting on a 30-10 to 10 bonsai charge in the second half. Armando Baycott, you certainly hope that that gentleman is well because he winds up slipping in the latter portion of this game. And you could tell the impact that he had on this game was very, very big. Only went 3 of 
13 from before, but went to the free throw line often, 9 of 13 at the free throw line. And for Kansas not covering, that's honestly because of free throws. 8 of 14 at the charity stripe in North Carolina. They go 18 out of 22. Baycott, 15 points, 15 rebounds. Puff Johnson, it looks like he's going to be a cog for North Carolina in future years as well. 11 points, 6 rebounds for a guy that had had his struggles. And North Carolina won the rebound battle 55 to 35. Problem was, North Carolina, 5 of 23 from three-point range as Kansas. They held 9 out of their last 10 opponents to 69 points or fewer, and they continue on the age-old trend. Ken Pomeroy, ever since he has tracked college basketball, every national champion has ranked in the top 30 in regards to adjusted defensive efficiency. Kansas fits the mold. North Carolina did not, and for North Carolina, 13 turnovers, a team that doesn't turn it over a lot. That wound up hurting them, David McCormick. 15 points, 10 rebounds, played really well down low, and then Christian Brown, 12 and 12 for him. And how about Remy Martin, my friends? 14 points, 4 of 6 from 3-point range. He's able to get this team buzzed up, just like Remy Martin in your life might wind up getting you buzzed up as well. And the most outstanding player in this one was O'Shea Ogbaji. And if you ask me, they got this one completely wrong as he wound up going 3 of 8 from the free throw line. was tremendous in that game against Villanova. No fans or butts about it, but he wound up having 12 points, 3 of 8 free throw shooting. He did a solid job of not really turning the ball over a lot with two turnovers, but boy, David McCormick, Wound up having himself a nice game. Mr. Brown wound up having himself a nice game. Jalen Wilson wound up having 15 points. And they give it to the guy that won 3 of 8 at the free throw line. And call it what it is. If those of you guys out there listening like me wound up playing 4 with Kansas in this one, that's probably the biggest reason why they did not wind up covering. So, yep, I am a little bit salty about that one. And coming up next on this podcast, we just take a look at what we wound up getting this last year in college basketball. Some takeaways what we want to be taking a look at moving forward as well in college basketball. Then in the final segment, get you guys locked in with regards to some of the news and notes that we want up seeing on Monday in college basketball. That's up next right here on Coast Coast Soups with myself, Greg Gibbs Peterson, now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas with Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Pierce, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And let's take a look at everything that we wound up getting this season in college basketball now that the confetti has been cleared from New Orleans. And I think what is really big is that you take a look at the teams that wound up making the Final Four. Either A, you wound up having a ridiculous recruiting class like Duke, you're in and you're out, winds up having. They always wind up getting great players in there like Paul Boncaro. Mark Williams was the top recruit two years ago. Wendell Moore, a guy that stuck around a little bit longer, but certainly he was a highly touted guy. You're able to go up and down the list, but you really need to hit on one big transfer. And that's something that I'm going to be taking a look at this offseason. It's not necessarily volume in transfers. Now, if you take a look at Baylor, who wound up winning the national title game last season, they certainly did wind up having a volume of great transfers out there in the backcourt with guys like Macy Oteague, Adam Flagler, who's obviously still there. You're able to go up and down the list of guys that wound up transferring in, even Jonathan Chamwa-Chachua, he wound up coming in from UNLV. They really built themselves on transfers, but Kansas, who wound up winning the NCAA title just here on Monday, they had one big transfer. That would be Remy Martin, a guy that came in off the bench. He was a big spark for this team down the stretch, wound up hitting big shots. You take a look on the flip side for North Carolina. 
Got to figure that Dawson Garcia in future years who want to come in for Marquette is going to have big moments, but they really had one impact transfer, and that'd be Brady Manick, guy that averaged last two months of the season, right around 18 points per game, wound up having a big part as to what this team was able to do. Now, you wound up having guys stick around for a few years as well. Armando Baycott was a guy that was very highly touted, just wound up not necessarily reaching the peak end. You notice this with Villanova wound up winning the title in 2018 as well. They were able to do a good job of recruiting well enough in which the guys are rated in all these top 100 lists and everything like that, but they weren't necessarily good enough to be first round picks, year number one, year number two, and I do think that that is really a key when it comes to college basketball moving forward. So when you take a look at these recruiting classes here in the offseason, you maybe want to go back to what we wound up seeing in like 2019, 2020, 2021. Some of these guys are sticking around after being inside of we'll call it the top 100 you can even go a little bit more specific top 75 and think all right now that we've got insert your player here from power five conference school coming back for his third year coming back for his second year list goes on and on that should give you a little bit of shop I mean a guy like a Puff Johnson coming back for North Carolina I think that that's going to be very impactful you take a look on the site 24 sports with regards to top recruiting classes for this upcoming year right now Duke They come in number one, John Shire, along with Coach K, really did a good job of recruiting this class, Kansas. They come in clocking in at number four. Both of those teams wanted making the final four, but if you dig down a little bit deeper, North Carolina is once again going to be there at number 11. A lot of ACC schools that wind up finding themselves more in this mid-range, like Syracuse is finding themselves at 14, Notre Dame at 15, Miami is finding themselves at 19, and these teams are sort of within the top 30-ish. They do a solid job every single year of bringing in guys that are on the fringe of the top 100. They always seem to do well whenever they do wind up bringing back these guys. So I do think that that is something that you certainly want to be diving into. You take a look at a team that I think might be able to blossom for this upcoming year, a team like UConn, who was number seven with regards to recruiting rankings this last season, having someone like a Jordan Hawkins be able to come back to school. Razul Douglas, if he winds up returning, if he's able to play a little bit of a role, Samson Johnson, guys like this, that is going to be very big for them. Arkansas, they've got three McDonald's All-Americans. They're going to be bringing back a lot of guys. That's something that you do wind up taking a look at if you can wind up getting a little bit of boom potential from a school like Alabama. If you wind up having J.D. Davison be able to come back for you along Charles Badeco. He wound up Mr. Badeco not necessarily having the freshman year that he would like, but that year one to year two leap, I still think is one of the biggest in all of college basketball. A big reason why Duke was able to make their final four run with guys like Mark Williams, Jeremy Roach. That is very important. What else I take away from this season as well is that the gap between these mid-majors and these high-majors, it's not necessarily as big as it's been in past years. So you take a look at St. Peter's being able to make the Elite Eight, and St. Peter's was a bunch that, if they wouldn't have won the Metro Atlantic Conference Tournament, not only would they have not have been the NCAA Tournament, they would not have been in the NIT. They may or may not have been in the CBI slash basketball classic. I mean, that's where St. Peter's was. They probably would have, if they wanted to, been able to partake in one of those lesser tournaments, but certainly not the NIT and certainly not the NCAA tournament. Now Sheem Holloway, he's going to be going to Seton Hall and we are seeing as well, a lot of these coaches that they wind up coming in, they're able to have immediate success. You saw it with Hubert Davis. I mean, North Carolina, after that loss of Pittsburgh just six weeks ago, 
They were on the fringe of not making the NCAA tournament, and then you wound up seeing a big, giant turnaround with Davis lining up, changing around the style a little bit more. North Carolina went from a team that they would get second and third chances with regards to offensive rebounds, but they weren't as rambunctious of a three-point shooting team. Now they were a team that was specializing a little bit more with regards to their three-point shooting, and that wound up working out very well for them, so they were able to click late, and I think that that's a big reason why you did wind up seeing three teams from the ACC be able to make the Elite Eight with Miami. They certainly were a team that they were tethered around transfers. You did notice that their top rebounder coming in from George Mason, Jordan Miller, wound up having a big impact. Charlie Moore, who was playing at DePaul, Kansas, Cal, I think that he played for the Lakers at some point as well. At some point, he wound up having a big impact. The guy that was on campus for a few years, became Cam he began his career at Oklahoma as well. So you notice that Jim Laranaga did a good job with regards to his transfers as well. And typically when you wind up having these teams that are full of transfers, they wind up peaking a little bit late. Like Arkansas, for example, they were another team that they wanted to make in the Elite Eight. They were the only team from the SEC that wound up being able to make the second week of the NCAA tournament. And the reason why is that they were able to play their best basketball down the stretch after a rough month of December that saw them lose in their home state to the Pride of Hofstra. And no offense to the Pride of Hofstra, but if you're Arkansas, you should not be losing that game. They were able to take off in a big way. They were able to get the ship righted, played very well down the stretch in the SEC tournament and then in the NCAA tournament. They were able to do their business. They were able to win some games. They wind up falling short against Duke in the Elite Eight, but certainly a team that they were able to get things firing. So I do think that when it comes to these teams, you've got to be gauging them a little bit differently from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And I do think that when it comes to taking points with regards to some of these underdogs in the NCAA tournament, it certainly is something that was the case this year. It wound up being very prolific for you with North Carolina. They don't wind up winning the national title game on Monday, but they wind up being able to get the cover. You notice it with North Carolina winning outright in the final four. You're even able to go back to the just first weeks of the NCAA tournament in general. We wound up having a stretch from the win that Duke wound up getting against Michigan State on until you wound up having that last day of the Elite Eight where Kansas covered against Miami and North Carolina against St. Peter's from that day in the round of 32 on. You did not notice a team north of a five-point favorite being able to cover any of those games in the beginning of the Sweet 16 to the Elite Eight as well. And when it came to the NCAA tournament as well, many of you guys noticed this lot of unders. The final four, you did wind up having those first two games of the final four wind up going over the total, but if you look Sweet 16 on, you wound up having 12 unders for the full game, and you wound up having three overs in the final, we're going to call it four rounds of the NCAA tournament. Sweet 16, Elite 8, Final Four, and the national title game. So I do think that when it comes to these more tense situations, things have been rewarded a little bit more for defense, and I do think that teams wind up cranking down their tempo a little bit more as well. You just take a look at the scores that we wound up getting, and that was very much a case with that regard. And then when it comes to conference by conference in general, I do think that it's a case in which until the Big Ten winds up being able to adapt, bring in a couple more transfers, they're going to be left in the dust because this was the second straight year in which the Big Ten, we were all hyping them up. We were looking at how many bids they wanted getting to the NCAA tournament. In my opinion, going into the NCAA tournament, the Big Ten did not necessarily have that one true Final Four contender. 
Michigan wound up being the team that wound up blasting the longest in the NCAA tournament along Purdue as they both wound up making the Sweet 16. They were the top two teams coming into the season. Michigan was underachieving, but a team that wound up picking up a little bit of steam late just was unable to overcome a solid Villanova team. And for Purdue, it was a bunch of which they wound up having no transfers whatsoever, and they wound up getting just completely embarrassed by St. Peter's. And what you notice with a lot of these Big Ten schools is that very few of them have embraced the transfer portal. While it's tremendous that Wisconsin likes to be able to develop these guys over a long period of time, there are more and more guys entering into the transfer portal, 1,700 in total, that they wound up Entering into it last year, as it sits right now, I'm taking a look at verbalcommits.com. We've got 1,130 players right now here in 2022 that have entered into the transfer portal. This is going to exceed 1,500. I wouldn't be surprised if we wind up getting more than the 1,700 that we wound up getting last season as well. So I do think that that is something that you certainly do want to be taking into account as well. I personally am not a futures player because I am someone that I am a little bit more of a game-by-game better. And these last few NCAA tournaments have shown exactly why. Because with the last few NCAA tournaments, many of us thought that Baylor, when it was all said and done last season, was going to be there. But they were the clear second banana. That would be to what we had with Gonzaga. Those two teams wind up getting to the title game. Baylor winds up getting the job done. And we really have noticed that last few title winners, they have been sort of like that number three, number four team. With Villanova back in 2018, I don't think that a lot of people were stunned when they wound up winning it. I feel like they were sort of in that top five conversation all season long when it came to 2019 with Virginia. They were sort of a team that they were lurking there. They weren't necessarily that number one team, but they were never necessarily outside of that that top five either. I feel like you're able to make that case this year with Kansas. Kansas was never really that number one team, but I don't think we ever viewed Kansas as anything less than a two seed. These are the teams that typically have been able to win titles, so I think that that's something that you want to take a look at. The number one overall team typically doesn't wind up getting there, but a team within that top 10, they typically do. I do think that that has been a very interesting trend. Heck, you're able to go back to 2015. That was the year in which Kentucky wound up going undefeated during the regular season. It was Wisconsin and Duke, two teams that were relatively in the top five all season long, but they were never that number one team because Kentucky was. That was another case in point of that as well. Really the only true outlier we've seen is UConn in 2014, making that just absolutely Herculean run as a seven seed. And we have been noticing in the last few years that teams that are a five seed or lower do stand a chance of being able to get to the final four. I mean, we very nearly saw an eight seed be able to win this year's NCAA tournament. In the case of UConn, they were a seven seed in 2014. Loyola Chicago wanted making their run a couple years ago. UCLA went from the first four to the final four. So being able to get hot and the unpredictability of that is certainly something that you want to be taking a look at as well. And typically these teams that they do wind up making that run, Loyola Chicago, I would consider them to be a little bit of an outlier. That's a team in which a whole is greater than the sum of its parts. They do wind up having those one or two guys that are able to take over a game. I would not have been surprised this year if a team like Wisconsin would have been able to make a run with Johnny Davis. With North Carolina, it was Armando Baycott down low and it was Caleb Love who wound up delivering some of the best March moments that we wound up being able to have with UCLA. Johnny Juzang was really that guy that was able to take over games. So I do think that that's something that you want to be taking a look at as well. And then just from a sheer trend standpoint that we wound up seeing in college basketball, you didn't necessarily see anything too demonstrative. I feel like the bookmakers just all throughout the year, they did a good job of being able to adapt. Now, I think many people would be in agreement with me that 
that stretch between like late December into early January where you wound up having guys winding up getting scratched from games like 30 minutes before due to the Omicron COVID-19 variant. That was something that was very hard to predict no matter who you were. If you were a bookmaker, if you were a handicapper, list goes on and on because for the entirety of the college basketball season, you actually did wind up seeing a couple more overs than unders. 2,735 overs. 2,681 under, so 50.5% was the over rate. In non-overtime games, I will say the over rate was more like 48.2%. I mean, let's call it what it is. When games wind up going to overtime, they just wind up going over, but we actually had a little bit of an edge to road teams. They wound up being able to cover 51.4% of the games. Dogs wound up covering 51.3%, so I do think that that shows a little bit as to how things have been reined in a little bit more, and if you take a look at some of your top cover teams and some of your bottom cover teams, so the teams that were making you the most money and the teams that were making you the least amount of money you'll notice that the teams that were towards the top a lot of them were teams that they were able to get better and better down the stretch you take a look at the two teams that we wound up seeing in the college insiders tournament final now you know that a lot of you guys probably weren't taking too much of a look at the college insiders tournament but you wound up having a rambunctious final that I thought was absolutely tremendous between Middle Tennessee and UNC Wilmington two teams that they were sort of left for dead in their conference towards beginning part of the season not a lot was expected out of them you wound up having both of those teams be in the top five with regards to cover rate St. Peter's our good friends they are going to be on this list as well so we'll have a commonality with these teams in a second but Middle Tennessee top cover team in all of college basketball at 76 and a half percent 26 8 and 1 against the spread St. Peter's who I just mentioned 23 and 10 against the spread UNC Wilmington 23 and 11 against the spread and what you notice with all these scenes is that they were able to tighten up the screws as the season went along on defense like St. Peter's a top 30 team with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis Middle Tennessee certainly was not there, but you'll take a look at UNC Wilmington in their first, I would say, eight or so games of the season. This team was completely putrid on defense. They wound up being right around league average with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, but they certainly tightened up when it came to Colonial Athletic Conference play. Houston was one of your best cover teams once again this year, 25 and 13 against this red. And then you take a look at some of the teams that they just did not wind up getting the job done. Pacific. They went 422 and 2 against the spread. That is actually the worst cover rate in a non COVID year that I think I've ever seen. That's because Pacific is a team that they play relatively slowly and points a lot on a per possession basis. They were outside the top 200. They didn't do good on offense. They didn't do great on defense. And typically, it's these like middle ranked teams in their conference that just turn out to suck that wind up being the teams that they just don't wind up doing well for your bankroll. NC State, for instance, their team that I thought had a little bit of upside with Manny Bates. Manny Bates winds up getting injured night number one. NC State was not the same from there. 7-25 and against the spread. Cal State Bakersfield, meet me for the Roadrunners out there in the Big West. A team that nobody was thinking was going to win the Big West, but we expected a little bit of respectability out of them. 6-17-2 against the spread. Oregon State, they wound up coming into the year with so much promise. As a matter of fact, they were tied for fourth in the preseason when it came to the Pac-12 preseason standings. I think that they were tied with Arizona, which you're able to take a look back at that and you're able to chuckle. And Arizona, there's another example of a coach winds up coming in, was able to have immediate success because he wound up changing around just the way that Arizona played. They went very much up-tempo. And when you wind up getting those guys firing on all cylinders, 
that works out very well for you. But getting back to Oregon State, 921 and 1 against the spread. Marshall was supposed to be towards the middle of Conference USA, 920 and 2 against the spread. Miami of Ohio thought to be towards the middle of the MAC, 9 and 20 against the spread. So those are things that you take a look at, and they really do stand out and they glare at me. So just a couple takeaways there. And if you have any that you want me to hit on in the next few days on this podcast, as per usual, one of two ways we all fire those in Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please just send this into the timeline and an Apple Podcast review. Rate this podcast five stars. Very much appreciate them from there. I'll answer your questions. So that's what we want to sing this year in college basketball. And now, Time to get set for the 2022-23 season coming up next. We're going to take a look at what we want of getting out there in the transfer portal and any NBA draft and coaching news as well. That's right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Eves Peterson, now a part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. Went through in the second segment, just a little bit of what we all noticed this last year in general in college basketball. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that, just a case in which I couldn't get a guest on tonight because, I mean, game winds up wrapping up at 9 o'clock, you post this up at midnight, and trust me, we have had many great guests on from places like Heat Check CBB, the Three Man Weave, you're able to throw in there the field of 68 guys, all people that do tremendous work, and they're going to be joining me throughout the offseason as well. Many of these guys, they're out there in New Orleans. When the game wound up wrapping up, it was 11 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Many of them are doing post-game interviews, things like that, so makes it a little bit difficult and I mean let's call it what it is we've got a lot of offseason to take a look at and there's going to be a lot of guys that wind up entering into the transfer portal we're going to get their takes all throughout the offseason and I do appreciate all those guys that have joined this podcast in the past and will be in the future so big thanks to them as we're going to take this one solo today and we're going to take a look at everything that we wound up getting with regards to the transfer news here in college basketball on Monday because you did wind up seeing a few guys settle on where they're going to be playing next like Keyshawn Davidson a guy that's been in the Ohio Valley Conference for the last three seasons he has decided that he is going to be playing at Belmont and he was really a solid player for Tennessee Tech 93% free throw shooter 10.5 points 4.5 assists 3.5 rebounds I think that he's a prototypical guy that is going to be perfect for this Belmont team a guy that does a good job of not necessarily turning the ball over a lot. He's able to pop some threes, maybe isn't necessarily the most prolific guy at being able to bury those threes, but with that said, does a relatively solid job. No doubt has a lot of familiarity with regards to the conference, so you wish him absolutely nothing but the best, and I do think that he's going to be relatively successful over there at Belmont. Probably seeing a little bit of a reduced role from what he wound up having at Tennessee Tech where the ball was in his hands a lot, but certainly should be seeing some solid playing time. Got to figure that Dewan Odom, wherever he winds transferring to, he is going to be seeing some solid playing time. I was mentioning it in that last segment. Guys that were like in the 50 range with regards to recruiting, but never really wound up leaving school early. These guys having some value, and Dewan Odom is one of those. He actually had a very good run in the NIT for Xavier, but as we know, the X-Men, they wound up suffering a coaching change in the offseason. Mr. Odom has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal, and we're going to call it what it is for Dwayne Odom. It was a little bit of an inconsistent year. Last 13 games of the season was a little bit better with 7.5 points, 2.5 assists. Wound up getting a little bit more playing time when Paul Scruggs wound up injuring himself and being out of the full. But 
He's a guy that's able to give you six and a half points, two boards, two assists. I think that he could be a solid point guard at a lower level, a little bit more of a reserve at a higher level. So certainly a guy that is going to have a role from wherever he winds up landing. You've got Trey Bonham, who I think that he can go from a mid-major to a high-major and be solid. He was at VMI this last season, was a starter for the Kedets, and he averaged 13 and a half points, four assists, turned the ball over only about two times per contest, shot 35% from three-point range, one and a half seals per contest, only about six feet tall, so build is not necessarily there, but he has decided that he's going to be entering in the transfer portal. There should be no shortage of teams that are going to be interested in him. Rashad Bolden wound up having some interest in him. He was a Conference USA all-freshman selection, a guy that averaged seven points per game while he was at Southern Miss this last year, started as a freshman, a guy that is not going to light it up from three Point range. I think that you can say that about pretty much everyone has come from Southern Miss the last few years, but you take a look at the way that he was able to wrap up the season. It was a case in which he did wind up having a little bit of a rough ending to the season. You take a look from the month of February on, so the final 13 games of the season, only six points per contest, two assists, shot 16% from three-point range, but I do think that going down a level to McNeese State, he should be a little bit more dominant. McNeese State is a team that they really don't pop a lot of threes in general, so I do think that this could be a case in which the fit is going to be very solid for him. I'm very curious to see what we wind up getting out of Tavon Cooper with, where he's going to be going next as well. as we wind up seeing a little bit of a mass exodus over there at Morehead State on Monday as he, along G&I Broom, Wound up transferring out, and G&I Broom, that is a big transfer. We'll get to that in a second. First with Cooper, guy that averaged 9 points, 6 assists, only 2 turnovers per game. Shot 33% from 3 this last season, but shot 38.5% his first two years on campus. Really a solid point guard. Not a guy that's going to shoot it a ton, but a guy that is able to do a nice job of being able to be a steadying force out there in the backcourt. And then you take a look at Mr. G&I Broom, and he was cleaning up this season. How about 17 points, 10.5 boards, and 3.9 blocks per contest as a 6'10 gentleman that helped lead more, I'd say, to the 2021 NCAA tournament. Yeah, that is a guy that is going to be very much coveted out there on the transfer portal. He is one of the best big men that is currently out there on the transfer portal. And if you want to take a look at some of these numbers, and they are insane. How about we go with the last 17 games of the season? He saved his best for last. 18 points. 4.4 blocks with 11 rebounds per game. I mean, this guy is an absolute animal down low. One of the best rebounders in all of college basketball. There's going to be no shortage of suitors. They're going to be lining up for his services. You've got to figure that there's going to be someone that is going to be wanting the services of Cameron Tucker as well. He is going to be transferring away from an Alabama A&M program that it's been interesting to watch them the last few years because they really had two guys that scored in double figures, and then Tucker was sort of that three option. He gave the team eight points, four rebounds, four assists. Did might have turned the ball over a little bit more than two and a half times for contest, so that was a little bit of an issue, but he was a part of an Alabama A&M team that was one of the better defenses in all of college basketball. They did a very poor job on offense. going to be interesting to see where his landing spot is going to be at. Going to be interesting to see where Brian White, who also comes from that portion of the country, is going to be ending up as well. He was at Northwestern State, the good old Demons, this last season, and he was a solid contributor. A guy that wound up starting, wound up seeing six and a half points, three and a half assists per game, shot 43 and a half percent from three-point range. So actually did a good job of lighting it up from the outside. 
not a guy that is going to be putting the team on his back. And the big thing that is going to be holding him back is the fact that he's only five foot six. So I think it's going to be intriguing to see who winds up rolling the dice on him. But he has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. You've also got David Eppelgren, who has decided that he is going to be transferring away from Wofford, a guy that last few seasons just didn't wind up seeing a lot of playing time. He's a seven foot one, 240 pound body that really doesn't have a lot of experience playing college basketball. So Whoever winds up wanting him, maybe he winds up going down to a very low level and can wind up getting some playing time there and just use his size to be able to get rebounds. Going to be intriguing to see what happens there. Malik Muhammad, he was beginning his career at Central Michigan and actually was solid at Central Michigan two seasons ago. Five and a half points, nearly six rebounds. Guy that's not able to space the floor, but had one and a half blocks per contest. This last year at Southern Utah, it was a big giant buster run. He played 10 games, wound up averaging less than a point and one and a half rebounds per game. He's in the transfer portal, someone who is six foot nine, and I actually feel like could be able to give the team that he winds up going to a little bit of something, but he has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. He didn't wind up seeing a landing spot for Jeremiah Williams. He was last season at Temple, and he was able to do a relatively solid job while he was with Temple, and we got to give our O'Delane Kiffinier. Go all says he was one of the lone guys that wanted being able to stay healthy for them as well as he wanted playing 22 games, 21 starts, nine and a half points, right around four assists per game. Guy that didn't necessarily shoot it well from three-point range, only about 23% from distance, but a good six foot five combo player. He goes over to Iowa State. Certainly a guy that knows about defense-oriented styles. That is exactly what Temple is. So that is going to be a good fit for him, in my opinion. KJ McClung, who was at New Hampshire, he has decided that he is going to California of Pennsylvania, and you're going to be noticing that there's going to be a lot of guys that they wind up going from the D1 level to the non-D1 level. Mr. McClung, he is certainly going to be doing that as I think that it's going to be very intriguing to see what we wind up getting out of him because he was someone that was relatively okay while he was playing at New Hampshire this last year. Didn't wind up putting up monster numbers or anything like that, but right around four points, shot 85% of the free line. Looked like he had a little bit of promise. Now he's going to be going away into the non-D1 level. Caleb Murphy, he was one of the top scorers for a South Florida team that did not have a lot of scoring this year. He decided that he's going to be entering in the transfer portal, a starter all throughout the season. 11 points, 3.5 assists per contest. Got to figure that he wants to showcase a little bit more offense. He's going to need to work on that because he shot 20% from three-point range this year, 54.5% at the free line. a former top 100 recruit, and a guy that plays very tenacious defense, just a guy that could not wind up getting any short of shot to fall from to save his life for a South Florida team that is just a very slow, very grimy style. So going to be intriguing to see where he winds up going. Kamari McGee, he was playing at UW-Green Bay this last season and was a Horizon League all-freshman pick. He has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal. Has a lot of shades of Amari Davis in him. Davis was able to start at UW-Green Bay when transferring to Missouri. Unfortunately, it didn't necessarily work out for him. With McGee, 11 points, 2 assists, a CO per contest. Only shot right around 28% from 3-point range, but certainly had a good freshman year on a team which did not wind up providing him with a whole lot of anything. So he decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. Got to figure that there's going to be a bit of a market for him. There's probably going to be a little bit of a market for Kevin Williamson along with Ahmad Harvey as well. Both of these gentlemen have decided that they're going to be entering into the transfer portal. Williamson was a little bit more of a reserve for this team. Both of these guys, one and a half points per contest. So not necessarily anything that should be hurting Coastal Carolina too much. Blake Harris transferring away from North Carolina AT makes quite a bit of sense as well. With Blake Harris 
Someone that wound up beginning his career at very much a higher level this last season. Just did not wind up taking the floor whatsoever. He began his career at Missouri. Wound up playing for NC State for a little bit. And during the 2020-21 season, while he was at North Carolina a wound up putting up 8.5 points per contest. And really did some of his best work while he wound up getting a couple starts during that 2017-18 season with Missouri. A 6'3 gentleman that with his 3-point shooting, it's not necessarily too bad. A career 34%. Three-point shooter, he's able to be a relatively okay scorer, but has never really been able to find his fit. He has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal, so we shall see what winds up having happening there. You've got David Nequesi. Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. He has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal as well. This is someone who was playing this last season at Weber State, wound up having relatively pedestrian stats, so that wasn't necessarily a guy that was able to make too much of an impact. This guy was able to make a little bit of an impact a few seasons ago, and now is becoming pretty much a globetrotter of college basketball. That would be Josh LeBlanc. LeBlanc was playing this last season at UAB, and it's technically Josh LeBlanc Sr., Four and a half points, five rebounds per game. You may recall he actually was a starter at Georgetown during the 2018-19 season at nine and a half points, seven and a half boards. And then you take a look at the last three years combined and he has played 52 games between LSU and UAB and a little bit of time with Georgetown in between there as well. Four and a half points, four and a half boards, a guy that has never been able to stretch out the floor, but has always been a solid plus defender, a guy that's always been able to hit the glass at six foot seven, a little bit undersized, but able to do a solid job there. He is going to be entering in the transfer portal once again. If he winds up going down to a little bit of a lower level, I think that he can have a whole lot of success. Got to figure that there's going to be a team that wants to roll the dice on him. Noah Locke, there's certainly going to be a team that wants to roll the dice on him. He was at Louisville this last year, and he was really Louisville's top scorer and top three-point shooter this year with 9.5 points, shooting 34.5% from three. In his three years at Florida, things certainly went better there. He averaged while he was at Florida 10 points per game on 40% three-point shooting. Problem is, he really doesn't do a lot in the way of rebounding and a lot of assists, but can be a good sharpshooter for a team that might be looking for it. So he has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal Chance Jenkins, he has decided that he is going to be going from Wichita State, and he is going to be going to Old Dominion. The Monarchs are getting a good addition, in my opinion, and they're a team that they are going to need to be able to get some additions just moving forward. Jenkins wound up seeing only about nine and a half minutes per contest. Was a good plus defender whenever he was out there for Wichita State, a little bit over two points per contest. Not a guy that's going to bury a lot of threes at 28% from three-point range, so he'll fit perfectly with Old Dominion. He has decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal late in the process with more at State there Mass Exodus wound up continuing as you did wind up seeing Skyler Potter also decide that he was going to be entering in the transfer portal, a guy that averaged 10.5 points, five boards per contest while he was with the Eagles of Morad State this last season, only wound up averaging right around 33.5% from three-point range, but that said, a guy that began his career at Wright State and throughout his career has shown an okay ability to be able to knock down threes between the 2018-20 and 2021 season was someone that from three-point range was able to knock down more like 39% of his threes, averaging 10.5 points per contest, so a very well-rounded player. He is out there in the transfer portal. Got to figure that there's going to be quite a one for his services, and you got to figure that that is going to be the case for Mr. Ty Perry as well. Someone who began his career for him, wanted transferring over to Buffalo, will actually wound up seeing some starts during the 2019-20 season at Fordham. Last two years with the Rams, averaged 7.5 points per game, was just really glued to the bench this last season while he was at Buffalo. While he was at Fordham those last two seasons, was a guy that wound up shooting about 35% 
from three-point range. So it will be a relatively solid sharpshooter, not a guy that's going to give you a whole bunch of rebounds, but someone that can make a little bit of an impact for you. He has decided that he is going to be entering in the transfer portal along Tyree Appleby. Appleby, he was eating good in the neighborhood for Florida all season long. You may recall that they wound up having a coaching change with Todd Golden taking over from San Francisco. And with Appleby this last season, 11 points, 3.5 assists per game, a solid but not great three-point shooter at right around 34.5% from three these last two years. Shot 85% on the free line. A guy that does a solid job of being able to dish out the ball. A very good plus defender as well. Guy with active hands that wound up averaging right around 1.3 steals per contest these last two years. Got to figure that there's going to be quite a market for his services. There was a market for the services of Tariq LaCour, and he has decided that he is going to be ending up at Louisiana Monroe. Monroe is a team that they've been rolling the dice on the transfer portal the last few years, and it's been working out a little bit better for them. He wound up just not being able to hit the floor too much this last season at UAB, only eight games as his two seasons at South Alabama wound up seeing 38 total starts, and really during that 2020-21 season was an underrated player in the landscape of college basketball. 13.5 points, five boards, three assists, a guy that's able to shoot about 33.5% from three-point range. So someone who has six feet tall is really able to do a solid job of being able to handle the ball, is able to dole out some offense. He is now in the transfer portal, so I do think that that is going to be a good pickup for Louisiana Monroe. We wound up seeing a pair of guys from Kansas State who they themselves are going through a little bit of a coaching change as Mr. Tang, who was over there at Baylor this last season, he wound up taking over, and you had to expect that there would be some changes, and we have seen a pair of guys wind up leaving as Kosai Azugi, along with Davion Bradford, have decided to enter in the transfer portal. Bradford is a seven-footer that could never really find his footing with the team. Three and a half points, two rebounds per game, and then with Azugi, I feel like the same could be said from four points, two and a half boards per game. Not quite seven feet tall, six foot ten. Seems like Kansas State looking to go a little bit smaller, a little bit more versatile as both of these gentlemen have decided that they're going to be entering into the transfer portal. Caleb Simmons, he was playing this last season at San Jose State. He has entered into the transfer portal, a guy that spent four years at San Jose State despite the turnover and just could never really get things going. His best year was 2020-21. Three and a half points, three and a half boards per game that season. A career 25% three-point shooter. So a guy that at six foot six tried to show a little bit of versatility was a bad player on a bad team. Not necessarily a lot of upside there. There's a little bit more upside for Colin Warren in my opinion. Mr. Warren this last season was playing at McNeese State and was relatively solid. He wound up being a little bit more of a sixth man for the team. Nine points, a CO per contest. Not a great three-point shooter, but 32%. That's a little bit passable. Guy that at 6'4", is able to bury a couple threes. A guy that is able to give you a little bit of searchability. Does a solid job of being able to defend as well. He has decided that he's going to be entering in the transfer portal along with Kobe Rogers, who began his career at Cal Poly. And this last season at Siena, he was very solid for this team. 14 points per game, shot 43% from three, 83% the free throw line. Problem is, he doesn't necessarily do a lot other than shoot, but he does have size at 6'5", so if there's a team looking for a designated shooter, he certainly should be able to provide that, and then some. You've also got out there Justin Aarons, who decided that he was going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. Health has been a little bit of an issue for him in his years on campus, wound up being a four-year guy at Ohio State. Did wind up seeing in the last two years a grand total of 37 starts for Ohio State. Never was a top flight option for the team. Last two years wound up averaging five and a half points per contest. Guy that was able to bury 39% of his threes did seem to wind up getting banged up a little bit throughout his career. A guy that this last year wound up playing 32 games so was able to do a little bit better job staying out there. Six foot six combo player and is able to give you some three point shooting. Didn't necessarily play the world's greatest defense though. So we will see where he winds up ending up and then Sean Doss 
He is returning to Arkansas Pine Bluff. I am not necessarily sure why. It was a 2020-21 all-swag performer this last year at SIU Edwardsville. Actually had a solid year. Wanted putting up 12 points, 5.5 boards, shot 31.5% from three. His previous year with Arkansas Pine Bluff two seasons ago, 16 points, 6.5 boards, shot only about 28% from three. And Arkansas Pine Bluff was terrible. Now, SIU Edwardsville this last year, they were pretty terrible as well. So, it's a case of welcome back, Potter, with our good friend from Arkansas Pine Bluff and Sean Dawes Jr. So, he has decided that he is going to be returning home. And then, Kobe Sayer McCauley. I don't think I said that first name correctly, but we gave it our best shot. He actually wound up being a big-time standout a few years ago at Lincoln Memorial. And now, he is going to be teaming up with his former Lincoln Memorial coach in Josh Shirts at Indiana State. This last year, Ed DePaul was able to give the team 5.5 points for contest. A guy that shot 32.5% from three-point range while he was at Lincoln Memorial during that 2019-20 season was legitimately one of the best players out there in D2 basketball. Average over 20 points per game. I think that this is going to be good for all parties. I think that he's really going to be able to take off. So, I take a look at this move. I think that it is making sense for all parties. I think that it's very good for all parties. And then Fronick Kampening of Oregon decided that he was going to be entering in the transfer portal as well. He wound up doing this pretty much during the national title game, which that's always a pretty bold move, but he wound up spending this last season at Oregon, a guy that wound up seeing some relatively good minutes this last season, right around four and a half points, three rebounds per game. Not a guy that I think is by any means going to be a difference maker, but at six foot 11, 225 pounds, especially if he winds up going down to a little bit of a lower level of competition, a guy that I think could really be able to do some good things. So he decided that he is going to be entering into the transfer portal. Then when it comes to next season, Jalen Williams, who I think is really going to be a big cog for Arkansas. And if he winds up returning to school, it is going to be massive for them. He has decided that he is going to be declaring for the NBA draft. He has kept it open as to whether or not he's going to be coming back to school. He is just going to be testing the waters. But a guy that was a big-time impact player this last season while he was at Arkansas, and I would argue a big reason why they were able to be the most successful team in the NCAA tournament from the SEC as he averaged 11 points, 10 rebounds, six foot 10, 245-pound gentleman that overall from three-point range shot about 24% this season, but in road and neutral court environment shot more like 32% from three, two and a half assists, 1.3 seals, a block per contest, really grew and developed as the season wound up going along. I like his overall upside, so going to be intriguing to see what he winds up deciding with his fate. Alondis Williams, who wound up putting up some massive numbers for a Wake Forest team that was pretty resurgent this year. He has said that he is going to be entering into the NBA draft as well. Sounds like he has yet to sign with an agent, so we'll see if he winds up coming back or not. The turnovers wound up killing Wake Forest this last season, three and a half per contest, but Wake Forest was one of the most up-tempo teams in all of college basketball, and he was a big reason why running the show, 18 and a half points, six and a half boards, five assists per game. Now, he's only about a 28.5% three-point shooter, and I feel like if he does wind up deciding that he is going to be coming back to school, he is going to really be able to work on some things. I think that it could lead to a massive year for Wake Forest, but he has decided that he is going to be entering into the NBA draft. Keon Brooks, he put his name in for the NBA draft as well. He has not signed with an agent, so he might wind up coming back to Kentucky as well. And really had his best year at Kentucky this last year. Ten and a half points. Did wind up seeing a dip in rebounding. Wound up having right around seven rebounds per game two seasons ago this last year. More like four and a half boards per game, but was able to do a good job being able to have versatility with the seam shot. 78.5% at the free throw line. Now, three-point shooting has been a hot mess for him throughout his career. Shooting only about 24% from three. Six foot seven combo player, though, so he's got some relative 
relatively solid versatility there. So it's going to be intriguing to see if he decides that he is going to be coming back to school or not. So we wound up seeing quite a bit of news in college basketball on a national championship Monday. And now it is that time that we get you guys set for the next season. That's what I'm going to be doing on this podcast, Coast Coast Hoops. So we've got a lot of time until the next season, but if you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore D1. Keep in mind, let her see them. Maybe it does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. We're going to be starting up conference previews most likely in late May, early June. We're going to be taking a look at the portal these next few weeks, taking a look at coaching decisions. So we're getting hyped up, getting set for the next season. And I will be coming at you guys every single day on this podcast. So I'll chat at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.